You're listening to She Time Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1, Becoming Layla Santiago. Welcome back to She Time. I am so excited to be back for another season. I really want to thank you, the listeners, for um, joining this journey by tuning into season one and continuing to follow along by now tuning into season two. Uh, this has been a really fun project and a little bit of a stretch project for me as well in terms of podcast hosting. Um, but I have learned so much from our guests and I want to thank all of the guests who participated in season one and the guests who are participating in the second season of She Time. Uh, I trust that you, the listeners, are also learning a lot from them as well. Uh, and I am so excited to bring season two to you I have been humbled by the guests who have joined this season and I'm so inspired by their stories and I trust that you will be inspired as well. Season two is themed Becoming and we are talking with women about their journeys to where they are today and where they want to go. And so um, I think we can all relate to the fact that we are all always transitioning and evolving and becoming and I um, and so I'm hopeful that through these stories, we will be encouraged to continue on our own personal journeys of self-care and self-discovery with lots of um, feelings of empowerment and joy. So um, but today I am talking with my longtime friend, Layla Santiago. Uh, Layla is a journalist and she's currently a CNN correspondent based in Mexico City. Um, she covered extensively um, the reporting of Hurricane Maria out of Puerto Rico, and Layla is also Puerto Rican. And so um, we're going to talk with her a little bit today about what it was like coming from Puerto Rico and moving to the States as a young girl. I got to a school that thought I don't speak English, immediately put me into an ESL class, and I spoke English probably better than some of the others. Yeah. Her journey in becoming a journalist and some of the biggest stories she's covered during her career, prior to joining CNN, Layla has served as an anchor and a reporter for a number of networks across the U.S., including stations based out of California, Alaska, Virginia, and North Carolina. And we'll also talk with her about her self-care goals and routines. When I travel, like I have a, I have a luggage that's like ready 24-7. And so I, like, I throw in there this little kit to take a bath in case I'm somewhere where I can do that. You know, yeah, it's so like cool. I travel around with this little like <laughs> lavender bath bomb, you know, like, right. which let's be real, it very rarely gets used. But <laughs> She's one of those friends that upon meeting, we instantly clicked and I trust that you will instantly fall in love with her as well. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Super excited to have on the show today one of uh, my longtime friends, Layla Santiago. Hi, Layla. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's good to chat. Yes. Um, so um, Layla and I are one of those, uh, I guess we have that friendship where you don't talk for a really long time and then you kind of <laughs> just pick up like you just spoke yesterday. So uh -huh. um, so I'm hopeful that today's chat will kind of be one of our, you know, catch up conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I've always loved that about us. Like I will go months without talking to you and then we talk just like, right. you know, we just finished a high school football game cheering and it's just picking right back up, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So, you know, one of the signature 
questions on She Time is what are you sipping on? Because I think it's always interesting to know, you know, um, everyone's beverage of choice. So mm-hmm. what are you sipping on? Um, well, I am Puerto Rican, so I love coffee. Um, and so I am actually on the island right now. So I am drinking um, one of my favorite cups of coffee right now. And I think part of it is partially addiction, right? Like I love, I'm like a caffeine person, <laughs> but also I just love the taste of coffee. Like I, even if it's decaf, like I'm just, coffee is comforting to me at this point. <laughs> mm, yeah. I love coffee. Well, I'm also drinking coffee um, and I don't know if I quite love it enough to drink it you know, decaf just because, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but but I definitely need a cup like in the morning to kind of get the day going. Yeah. 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 I I am the same way, same way, but I drink throughout the day. I don't just stop in the morning. I I, I love coffee all day long. (laughs) I I won't drink it cold though, which is a little snobby of me. Like if it's, you know, I got to drink my coffee quick because if it gets cold, I'm done. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So I guess no, no iced latte. No, I can't do it. No, I wish I could, but no, I don't, I don't like it. Uh-uh. All right. Well, you know, that's actually interesting. So you said you're, you're currently in Puerto Rico right now. I um, am. And, you know, I just wanted to, to see if you could talk a little bit about certainly your family is from Puerto Rico and being from Puerto Rico and certainly, you've, you know, grew up in the States. If you could talk a little bit about what that was like and that transition, also what that meant for your family. Yeah. Well, um, you know, to be clear, I'm, I'm an army brat. Like my dad was in the army. So that's why we moved around so much. So it wasn't just you know, Puerto Rico to the States, like I always had a, a, a really strong U.S. influence because I always lived on base. Mm. Um, so we went from Puerto Rico to Panama and then Panama to South Carolina. Now, don't get me wrong. There was deaf culture shock when I got to South Carolina. <laughs> um <laughs> But um, I was able to ease into it a little easier. Like, I mean, I remember when I got to South Carolina, just based on my last name alone, they automatically put me into an ESL class. So like English as a second language. Um, And I would come home and I was just like acing everything. Right. Mm. And my mom's like, what is this homework? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm good. Right. But it was because I knew English because in Panama, I was in an English school because I was on base. So, you know, there was uh, one of the things I think it did for my family was when you travel that much, you are the nucleus, right? Like you are all you have. So Mm -hmm. that always kind of helped our family stay really strong. But also when you're constantly traveling, there's constantly this change. There's constantly a transition and helping even others understand who you are is important because, I mean, that's a prime example. I got to a school that thought I don't speak English, immediately put me into an ESL class and I spoke English probably better than some of the others. Yeah. Um, so that, that that's just part of that transition. But early on, like, I realized that, that like, I'm going to need to tell people or explain to people who I am because I'm, I'm, I'm constantly not the norm where I am, if that makes sense. Yeah. I didn't know that. And that's really interesting backstory <laughs> and, and your, you know, first initial experience in good old South Carolina. Um, yeah. So, so you talked about your family, which I know one of the things that I really admired over the years, and, and certainly once I got to know you a lot better, is the relationship that you have with your siblings and especially with your mom. Like, I really admire the relationship you have with your mom and, <laughs> um, 
I mean, she's really awesome. And, you know, certainly this season of um, Sheet Time is about becoming and, you know, really thinking about the mm. things that have shaped us into the the people that we are today and um, yeah. that are helping us to become, you know, the women that we want to be. For your mom, what, what role has your mom played in, in, in who Layla Santiago is now? Well, I think my mom is huge. Um, my mom is absolutely huge. And I think one of the sort of defining things about my mom is that she always has made sure that I like, like that, that you are greater than yourself, right? Mm. That you are always representing something. Um, and I, I, I love my mom to death and she's a smart, driven, sassy woman, but I think that goes beyond her. I mean, I think that comes from my grandmother and my mm. great grandmother and that, that, they're the, just like generations of strong women um, that have just th- that have established some key sort of principles that guide us. And that has just been passed along. And so my mom has obviously given it her own twist and made it her own and 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 passed that along to us in her own way. But I really think that's a generational thing. I mean, my, you, you know, my my grandma and I were like best friends yeah, right yeah. like that's my girl and 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 then that my mom and I are are, are solid in, in in how much we we talk all the time and now we're actually even kind of working together oh. um but uh yeah more on that in a minute <laughs> um but um but I I really do I mean like my mom has always been very purpose-driven and very mindful of of what you represent. I mean, I, uh, and I'll, one more backstory. I remember when I was in South Carolina and I got to the playground on the first day and this girl came up to me and she was like, what are you? Mm. And I was so confused because I didn't understand the question. And then I remember she said, you know, is your mom white and your dad black? And, mm. you know, from my point of view, um, my dad is darker than my mom, but I had never dealt with the whole race issue. So I thought, yeah, no, I guess I am. This this concept that she introduced to me is mixed, right? Mm. And and I was like, yeah, I guess I am. And from her perspective, you know, think about it. I was like one of the first Latinos in that area. So she's a young girl and she has no idea what I am. And so she's asking a question very bluntly, but it's because she just didn't know. It wasn't mm hateful and so I remember I told my mom when I came home that story and she immediately sat me down like stopped what she was doing and she's like sit down listen to me you are a Puerto Rican girl Mm. you know and it is your job to teach them that teach them what that means and that will stick with you for the rest of your life like that's your job and so I've always sort of seen that like what am I and then understanding that I'm my job is to make sure I represent well for whatever that is. I'm a, I'm a woman. I'm a reporter. Um, I'm a Puerto Rican. I'm a Islander, you know, like to always represent. And I definitely got that from my mom. I mean, my mom has always just like pounded that into our brain as you're responsible for that. Like, don't mess that up. Yeah. And, and that, that, that I think that's the way she lives. And she's made sure that, that we do that. And now you know, I have a little niece and I'm constantly doing the same thing with her, too. So I think it's just like this, these gener- this, these generations of, of, of girls slash women that are that have haven't had the mission changed um, in decades. Yeah. 
And I love that line, teach them what that, what it means, you know? And um, as I think about, I think race relations in general and maybe in the States, if, I think if we took more of that approach in, you know, just kind of educating those who may not understand a lot of the maybe cultural differences or um, other things, how impactful that could be in kind of changing those relations. Yeah. Yeah, because I really do. I think, look, there's a lot going on in our country and heck beyond that, right, in our world right now. Um, And I think that it's easy to be hurt, right? Like I could have absolutely been hurt by that question. Um, But I think a lot of times it is hurtful. I I don't want to take away from that. A lot of times it is. But I think a lot of times it is just, I don't know any better. Right. And so like, that's, that's an opportunity, right. To, 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 to teach them that, to become the standard for what that person will for the rest of their lives, think of a Puerto Rican, think of a woman, think of a journalist, you know, like you, it, it really, it's a really simple moment, but it, it can be so powerful. Yeah. Okay. So thinking about is the notion of, knowing what you represent and understanding that, you know, one mm. of the things that has always stood out to me about you and even your mom, probably more so, at least initially, I thought I identify this with your mom is service. And so when mm. I think about mm-hmm. your family, like that's what you kind of represent to me, just really great servant hearts, um, mm. lots of compassion for, for others. And mm-hmm. um, I want to talk a bit about um, service as it relates to some of the projects that you've been working on more recently, mm-hmm. you know, um, certainly last year, Puerto Rico was certainly devastated by Hurricane Maria. And, um, and that and you've been working on a project, Dear Corazal, um, mm-hmm. to provide some um, assistance and, and certainly relief to, to those impacted. Can you talk a bit about that project mm-hmm. and, and where it stands and what you've been able to accomplish through it? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a journalist. And so typically um, I when I go on assignment, I'll be on assignment maybe for a few weeks um, and, and then I go back to whatever you might call as my normal life. Um, but when I was a, I came to Puerto Rico for Hurricane Irma. And then I covered the Caribbean and the devastation here. And then I stayed for Hurricane Maria. And then I did not leave for three months. I mean, I think I left for one weekend to just kind of get away, excuse me, with my family and uh, during Maria in Miami. And I so I left for two days and came right back. Mm. Um, And so. I was so, I rem- my mom at the time was not on the island and she's watching the news, watching the coverage. And I remember she called me and said, what do we do? Right. Because it, that is our instinct. Um, again, something that's a generational thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to her, I said, right now you watch and you spread the word because right now we need people to know what's going on. And I said, and then later on when everyone probably forgets, that's when you and I will come in. And so that's exactly what we did. It wasn't till I want to say December. I I don't have a calendar in front of me, but it wasn't until a few months after Hurricane Maria that my husband and I came up with this idea to write this like love letter to Corozal, which is my hometown. You've been there for the Mm -hmm. wedding and and I, I spent time during my summers every year there and that's my family's been there since the 1800s so like that that's like the roots right they're there and so 
we came up with this idea to write them a love letter, you know, and tell them, thank you for everything you've done for me. And then kind of flip the switch and say, now I'm going to take, you know, you take, you took care of me for all these years. Now I'm going to take care of you. Um, and we made this, this video and we started to sort of publicize it. And then we started, we established a GoFundMe account and we have managed to raise $60,000. And with that money, we just started distribution because one of the things that's different about Hurricane Maria is that these impacts have really lingered. Like, you know, there wasn't power, power was, was, I mean, well, heck there are still towns that are dependent on gener- on generators right now. And we're almost a year out. So like power was an issue. Um, people were still cleaning up from the floods um, months and months later. So we went and we started using the money to help with the cleanup. Like I would go to these homes and people would say to me, oh yeah, look, this is my mattress. It flooded, but I put it out in the sun and um, it's fine. I'm just going to sleep on that. And I'm like, no, no, that's not fine. Right. That, like there's mold mm-hmm. as an issue. Like that's a health issue. Um, and so we went out and we bought this entire neighborhood new mattresses. Like everybody got 35 new mattresses. Everybody oh, wow. got a new mattress. And then we bought them sheets. And and then we went out and we bought 500 solar lanterns so that when the power goes out, because they still didn't have power at the time, you know, so that they could use that. And then also when the power goes out, they have something and they don't have to constantly be buying batteries. I mean, you put it out into the sun for eight hours and it lasts you, I think, like 30 hours of light. And that's something that even like kids would come home and only be able to get their homework done um, for a certain amount of time because the power would go out and they wouldn't have enough to see right after Mm -hmm. the fact so it was just like let's just get this light for kids to be able to do homework um later on we found out that people were running out of water and food and the municipality had it but the volunteers had all left so they didn't have have a way of distributing so our volunteers went out and got all of it out there we've uh, distributed emergency preparedness kits right as the hurricane season started um we've distributed tarps we've i mean we've really i'm really 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 proud of what we've been able to do but the project we're working on now is what i'm i'm really excited on that the there was a, a neighborhood that the well collapsed um during hurricane maria so they didn't have access to water so we fixed the well and that provides water to 25 different homes and that was the biggest sort of sub project of it but what we're working on now is to rebuild a home there's a family that's still living a year later in an abandoned school and so we're going to we're working hard to rebuild their home so that um, they have a new place to live and they can get out of that school that is not under condition to be lived in. And I mean, it's an abandoned school. Mm. Um, so that's our, our, our latest project. This was a one year commitment. I, I suspect it might go a little bit beyond that, mm. but um, that that's sort of how it started and, and where we are. And, you know, it, I'm hoping that the recovery continues to a point where we don't need to do this anymore. But, and, and, and I want to give credit where credit is due. Like Puerto Rico has come a long way, but, but it still has a, a long way to go. Yeah. And, you know, I think yeah. that's so great. And this, this is a great reminder because as this the tendency when there's any, you know, kind of big event or, you know, in this case, natural disaster that, you know, we're really focused on it in the near term, you know, right after it happens. Mm-hmm. And then as time goes on, you kind of forget or you don't think about right. it as much right. anymore because it's not, 
you know, the headline news um, right. or other right. things anymore. So it's really, I think, important for us. And I think this is a good reminder for even myself to, to know that there are still, you know, ramifications from Hurricane Maria that are still being felt by by Puerto Ricans and that we have to still pay attention to that and find ways to help. Right. Um, right. Are there resources or ways that people can get involved to, to help with the efforts? Yeah, well, I think right now, you know, we're coming up, we're about 20 days away from the anniversary as you and I speak today. Um, and I think a lot of people will kind of be reminded of that with like the coverage that's coming. But there are some really great organizations on the ground. Um, I'm partnering with Hispanic Federation, which has done a lot of stuff. Um, I'm just on my from the journalistic end, I'm talking to a lot of organizations that are coming in, still working tirelessly. And it, it really is like they're just sort of bridging the gap, right? The government um, had a what would be considered controversial at, at minimum response. Um, and so it did take these sort of business leaders and these nonprofit organizations and and these GoFundMe accounts um, to sort of fill that gap to 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 forget the bureaucracy of it all, but more of like, let's just get the job done, right? Like, let's get power restored. Let's just do this. Mm -hmm. um, I, I actually spoke to an organization <clears throat> yesterday that was really interesting. They are coming in right now to provide therapy. I mean, it's a mental health issue to the first responders mm -hmm. because a lot of first responders are actually leaving. Like, they just can't take it anymore. And and those who are staying are, are overwhelmed. And remember, like, this hurricane destroyed this island, not a portion of the island, like the island. So these first responders were going out and saving lives while they had their own crisis at home, you know, while their own homes were flooding, while their own families didn't have power. So I think a lot of people are probably dealing with an element of guilt. And there is definitely, as we're here right now for the one year anniversary coverage, um, I, I've been surprised. And I mean, it's a lesson. I probably should have known this at just the level of trauma. I mean, you really can't get someone to talk about it without seeing pain or anxiety over the next one, without feeling guilt or disappointment. I mean, so many ugly, ugly emotions that are still haunting this island, even a year later, even when most people do have power, most people do have water, but it's, you know, they hear thunder and it is flashback mm -hmm. um, they see just an inch of flooding and they are already panicked um, so there, there really is sort of right now what I'm seeing is the recovery continuing but also that lingering um, trauma um, that that I'm not I'm not sure is ever really going to go away I mean I think it'll get better but I, I think it was that devastating yeah and I, I can only imagine what that would would be like and as you talk about the um the first responders and um, a lot of um, maybe the, the ramifications from the service that they've provided, it kind of brings to mind as we talk, think about self-care, um, self-care for caregivers, you know, because mm -hmm. um, I, I think a lot of times is the cases that in serving, you pour so much into whatever the, the effort or the event is. And then, you know, there's not as much room to really kind of replenish or, Mm -hmm. or to be able to have the the ability to um, to really just take care of yourself, you know? Um, right. And right. I can imagine that there, as you mentioned, a lot of trauma, um, a lot of emotional and maybe even mental effects from really jumping in and serving in, in that type of situation that have 
that rule needs to be unpacked and dealt with. So yeah, 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 yeah. I can only. Imagine. And I don't think you think I, I don't think you you think about that often, right? Because whenever there's a natural disaster, whenever there's devastation, you have so much that you just have to get done, right? You have to save your home. You have to, you know, for many people, they had to get diesel so that they their generator could run and people could have. Um, breathing machines, right? The CPAP machines or, or whatever, you know, like the, you're, you're just, you're in such emergency mode that you don't think about what's happening from a mental perspective. Yeah. And I, and I see that a lot. I mean, obviously Puerto Rico is dear to my heart. So I see that here, but even, you know, as I've traveled for other big news events, you know, when we're in Venezuela, when we're in Colombia, and, um, immigration. I mean, you, you know, I rode, I was with the caravan that came up through Mexico earlier this year. And I, and I, and I did think about that. Like these families were going through all sorts of um, struggles and really dangerous situations just to, to try to escape violence. And I, I think you're trying to, you're in emergency survival mode and you do what you got to do. But I think those impacts of what they see, I mean, these were kids, there were like three-year-old kids that were, you know, strapped onto their mothers as they were trying to do this. And I I can't imagine long-term, you know, how they will cope with this. I mean, they, they have to, right. It's it's a part of survival, but that stuff sticks around, you know, and and that's, some might argue the, the really tough stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So t- talking about service, would you view service as like a form of self-care for you? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I think I've taken with with Dear Corosad, it's been something I've never done before. So I, you, you could probably say that it's a little stressful yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. in managing logistics. Right. Um, but I think for me, it um, it's also very therapeutic, which I put in the self-help category um, because a you know again I'm very sort of purpose driven I think to me it's like okay what's the point of this are we getting something accomplished is, is my constant question at, at work and in life um, and so I think when you see that when you see that you're doing something right like when you see that you've just given a kid a way to do his homework when you see that you've just provided bed sheets for a new bed like a clean bed where you're not going to cough at night um that is fulfillment right like that's the whole point of this and also i think that it's an insane perspective like i and i do and with my job i I get a lot of that but just you know look our, our everyone has it their own like everyone has a struggle right it's something to overcome something they're dealing with or just juggling but i think when you are involved in service you're reminded that everybody has a struggle and oftentimes it's much worse than yours right so it really puts things into perspective because that's so easy to lose and I I work really hard on that I really do I wake up every morning and I and I I spend I make it a point even if there's like breaking news and I need to get out the door I make it a point even if it's just like while I'm brushing my teeth to just like what am I grateful for today and like, and what's the point, right? And and I think about that a lot. Like oftentimes, if I'm rushed, it's because I'm going to some sort of breaking news, and I'm I'm thinking, okay, well, it's because those people need help, and man, am I blessed as a result, you know? Just so I think service has a way of doing that. I I obviously am all about 
um, trying to reach out to people. But oftentimes, I think most people will tell you, you, you kind of walk away more blessed than, than they are. You know, it's more rewarding to you. And it puts things into perspective in a way that I haven't found anything else like it. Yeah. Yeah, I would completely agree in that, um, you know, it's not always convenient to serve or easy to serve, but I've, there's never been a service opportunity that I've walked away from and was like, man, you know, that was a waste of time or, you know, like, (laughs) why did I do that? I mean, I I can't, it may be something as, as small as, you know, donating items or something as big as really investing a lot of time into something, but I've always walked away, you know, feeling rewarded from yeah. um, from whatever it is. And I think that's something that um, I think it is an essential part of self-care and that self-care is not only about, you know, just taking care of yourself, but I think it's also about contributing to and taking care of your community and, you know, and those mm-hmm. around you and, mm-hmm. and, and doing so by pouring into other people in that way that you receive <clears throat> something in return. Uh, and it's something yeah. that can't really, I guess, be explained or, you know, I guess really put into words, but, but I, I do think it, it provides um, benefits, even though you know, it's, it's intended for others, that it provides benefits to us. Yeah. But I think you just tapped into something that I hadn't really thought about before. And that's the community angle, right? Like service in a way you're building your own village around you, right? Like you're, when you do service, it's part of community building and that, that, that village, right? It takes a village is, is, is something that you're nourishing and and will bring you know give back to you. So that, that you're you're absolutely right in the community sense too. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. So switching, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a bit about your career in journalism. And mm-hmm. um, just curious to know how did you decide that you wanted to become a journalist? Um. So I was actually on track for. Um, public relations like that's what I studied and then as part of that I started to intern with different media outlets because I wanted to specifically do media relations and then when I got to TV I interned at a small um, ABC affiliate Gainesville and I remember like the first day I went out with a reporter and um, we were covering this sinkhole and this thing was massive. I mean, first of all, I had never seen one. So that was educational right there. But like, there was this home that was going to be that was, was like set to fall in. And I'm ashamed to say I never followed up. So I don't really know if it did or didn't. But I remember the reporter who I still keep in touch with today. And she's a great reporter. She's doing really well. Um, but I remember she was covering what was happening, right? Like the sinkhole. And she talked to the officials and they were explaining things. And I just, I couldn't take my eyes off of this van that came in and it was a bunch of prisoners. They had brought a whole bunch of prisoners to come in and try to fill the hole. And so I was fascinated by that. Like, that's what I wanted to talk about. Mm. Um, And that's what I wanted to see. And so I think that moment was very big for me because I realized like, oh, like, this has a human element, right? Like news is news and we have to, you know, report the facts and, and, and cover it in a, um, sometimes like progressive, like in a progressive manner, like you start with what happened and then maybe dig deeper with the people. Um, but I, I just always thought like, Oh man, there's, there's like this opportunity to really connect with people myself and then also connect others. Like I, I don't ever think that part of the story was told, but I just was always sort of fascinated by the fact that like, in a way, these 
these prisoners, these convicted criminals were going to save this house, you know, and, and no one was going to give them credit. I mean, and, and let's be fair, like they weren't there by service. Right. right? right. But, but I just thought that that was so interesting. Like that was an element that I, I was so sort of fascinated by it. So um, that was the moment that I thought, Oh, okay, well let's do this. But you know, I, I, I grew up with a, single mom who who was a teacher so there wasn't a lot of money coming in and i was in my second semester of my fourth year of college so to call my mom and be like oh so i'm thinking about a major change um and she's like you're gonna need to figure this out because like we can't afford this Mm. so i started to just intern everywhere even though i was in the communications world um i didn't major in journalism or broadcast TV. So I sort of had to um, work my way through. And I started off at that same ABC affiliate, just working behind the scenes as um, an assignment editor. And then I I worked as a photographer. And then after that, I got my first reporting gig in Charlottesville, Virginia. And from there, I just moved around. I, I was really into using journalism as a way to travel and meet people from different backgrounds. So I went from Virginia to Alaska to California, then North Carolina. And then in North Carolina, I really started to kind of, I realized that there was a gap in coverage of, of the Latino community. So I started to do... Um, a lot of work with that, and we ended up doing a documentary that did pretty well, and that caught CNN's attention. Um, and so then I took this job where I'm out of Mexico City, and it's this really cool position because um, the whole point of my job is, you know, C- CNN has international reporters that that are <laughs> amazing. I'm always very inspired by them, and and so what. The, the idea here was to have a sort of this international position, but to 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 be in the conversation of how does Latin America relate to the U.S., right? So to constantly be telling stories to the U.S. audience. Um, and so to me, as someone who's bicultural, right, someone who's constantly myself and my personal life navigating these two worlds, mm-hmm. it's like a perfect fit. Like I, it's a dream job for me because I get to do what I'm constantly doing in my own life on a professional level and telling stories and meeting people and, and explaining things to those who, again, maybe aren't hateful. They just don't, they've never been exposed to that. Like they just don't know. And so it's a, it's an opportunity to really help um, connect people um, for, for whatever reason. And, and, you know, there, there are always politics involved and that's not my role. I don't ever try to tell someone, what you should be thinking. Um, but I just want to make sure that you like, you know, for the caravan, for instance, there was a lot of talk of, you know, the president said it was a dangerous caravan. And, and, and so when I went to the caravan, what I found, um, weren't necessarily gang members, but like mothers and children. And so I wanted to make sure that the audience knew, you know, you can believe whatever you want on immigration. You have that right. And that's what makes us who we are as Americans. But like, I want to make sure that your opinion is informed, like that that this caravan is mothers and children escaping some really insane violence in Central America. You know, if, if you think they should be able to do that, that's great. If you don't think that, that's also great. But like, I, I love the challenge of being able to at least bridge the gap to make sure that people understand correctly what's happening. Yeah. 
And I like that. I like I love the to- the storytelling aspect of it and yeah. the fact that you have the opportunity to tell stories that may not otherwise be heard um, right. or be told. Yeah. And right. uh, I think that's one of the most important parts of, of, of journalism um, is that, and I think it's also, you know, I think a heavy responsibility is, is selecting those stories. And right. um, I think that's one of the things I've always loved about your reporting is that, is that you're not telling, you're telling stories that, that are not necessarily mainstream, you know, media mm-hmm. news, but there mm-hmm. are still very important things for, um, for those who are, are watching to hear and to know. Right. So, right. Because otherwise you're not, there's no exposure. Like, I mean, again, and, and even think about Puerto Rico, the first few days, it really, I mean, it, it got coverage again, but mostly with the, the devastation, right? We were all processing this, um, what looked like zombie land. I mean, it was this insane impact that you could immediately see uh, in person, physically, right? But then months later, like, that's when you realize like, oh my gosh, the power's not back. And that's literally killing people. I mean, Mm. people need power for dialysis. People need power for their breathing apparatus. People need, you know, so like these like going in and, and, and sure I could report that in a live report that where they'll give me two minutes to talk and I can get the point across, but how much more powerful is it to see the widow of, um, you know, crying when she, pulls out this machine that her husband used to breathe at night and stopped working because the generator ran out of gas in the Mm. middle of the night. Right. Like that, that makes the point like, Hey guys, like power six months later, still a big problem. It's literally killing people, killing uh, us citizens on an Island. Um, So I I just, I'm really into the whole shore. If you, I I can tell you the story, but let's go out and, and find these people. And, so many of these stories, I mean, I got to sort of give a big kudos to my team. You know, these, if I, I, I sometimes am amazed, like if people knew what we did to get to those stories that you are saying are so important. I mean, we would hike in for a mile carrying all the gear. Mm. We would climb mountains. Um, I remember at one point the government, um, which I, and I, I'm not criticizing or blaming them because I don't, this was not their um, I don't think anybody was knew this was coming, would have the impact it had. But um, the government didn't have a way of reaching everyone. Like the governor told me, I only have so many helicopters and we haven't been able to reach every municipality. And I remember that day I called my boss and I said, the government here can't reach people. So can can I get on a helicopter and reach them myself? Mm. And, you know, to his credit, my boss was like, go. Right. So we 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 rented a chopper and we were flying into thank God Puerto Rico loves baseball because it was the only place we were able to land. There were baseball fields everywhere. (laughs) So I'm like, I love that we love baseball because that was like in a way it played a role in in reaching people because you you couldn't land on rooftops because you didn't know if they were stable enough. You couldn't land in a bunch of other open areas because there was debris everywhere. But those baseball fields, I tell you, that was where we would land. And so like, it's reaching those people. It's going um, that, you know, that extra effort where that means you're not going to sleep. I mean, we, our teams did not sleep for weeks. I mean, I think a typical day for me was going to bed at 1 AM and then waking up, at like three or 4 a.m. to go live at six. Mm. So it was, but, but you do it again, understanding 
that, look, this is a sacrifice that I'm going to make right now because there's a greater purpose, right? Like this, like there weren't a lot of journalists on the island. There were, I don't want to take away from it. There were journalists, but not like it grew in the weeks later. Um, and so that's heavy pressure, right? Like it is your job. It is your responsibility to get the word out. Yeah. Um, and so you, you sacrifice things sometimes for them. Yeah. <clears throat> so how do you replenish from that? You know, it's, yeah. When you're, <laughs> I mean, as you mentioned, <laughs> you you were there three months essentially, mm-hmm. you know, without interruption. As in, you know, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. how do you replenish from that? How you know what forms of self care do you practice, and you know how do you weave that into such a you know demanding schedule? Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'm like the the best example for this, <laughs> but it is an important conversation to have and something that I've been sort of forced to think about, right? Because like, I wasn't, I wasn't taking care of myself. Um, and so since then, um, actually, it's interesting, my, my husband finally was like, okay, I'm going to save you from yourself. And we're going to go on vacation. And so I actually had my first vacation in two years which I know many others go much more without, but uh, a few weeks ago. Nice. And it was the first time that I sort of put away the phone, not completely, but like at least, you know, I'm taking baby steps, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, um, put away the phone. I was in a completely different country. And um, that was sort of a, a moment to just go like, oh, it's nice when you're not monitoring Twitter and you're not, I mean, I get, and I'm not exaggerating, I get thousands of emails a day. And so like not having to cipher through those and, and it, it was, it was nice. I, I think time off is important and unfortunately we don't take enough of it. I don't think I'm alone on that. And, but on a daily thing, what I've done much better at recently is I, you know, I, I do have my routine and my routine does allow for that. I mean, I'm a runner. And so I usually wake up in the morning, I wake up at like 5am, well, 5, 530. <laughs> I wake up, let me, let me be clear. I wake up at five, I snooze till 530. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then um, I, I wait, I go through my headlines, I'm emailing things off, and then I'll go run. And I used to run <laughs> while I was in a, like, in a meeting, like in a teleconference. And then I just decided, no, this is my time. So I stopped doing that. And now I run with my 1990s pop music probably. And, and that's my me time. Um, and then I come back, um, lately I I come back, I work on Dear Corozal and then I'm in the office by nine. Um, And then I, I make sure Again, lately, this is like a big effort for me to get out by 6.30 or 7. And I'm, I come home, we have dinner together, we watch Netflix together, and that's sort of the routine. But when I'm on assignment, that becomes a little more difficult. Yeah. So, um, you know, Zach and I, my husband and I have made it a big deal that if I'm going to be on a long-term assignment, he sometimes will come out to wherever I am if he can, right, if it's not like a disaster zone. And so that's big for me to have that support right there with me. And then I've also tried to get into a habit. Like I, I now travel with my running shoes and my workout gear because that that's very therapeutic for me as well. Um, and And – as I was kind of thinking about having this conversation, like one of the things that also is self-care for me is just keeping in touch with people. So 
every now and then I will, if I have a Saturday morning, I will make it a point to, if I have an hour, like, okay, who haven't I talked to? I want to call this person. And that's so therapeutic for me as well. It's just keeping in touch. So even, or, or even if it's just like through WhatsApp or text, like to take the moment to reach out to someone that, that is in your inner circle or your circle in general. Um, I think that's also a part of self-care, like the whole village thing. Um, so I'm still working on it. It's a, that balancing act is tough. I haven't figured it out. I don't pretend like I do, but, um, but it is an effort. And that's one step more than where I was, I think a year ago. <laughs> yeah. So. And you know, I love it because, um, it's real, you know, I think as I have started to become more, um, and maybe attuned to self-care needs and practices, and as, as certainly as I've, you know, done more with the She First Project, I think be, more knowledge about self-care and the importance of it almost became um, like a source of guilt, you know, like I started to feel yeah. guilty that I wasn't practicing self-care, you know, more or I wasn't doing it in a way that seemed, you know, to be best or, you know, maybe textbook or what have you. And then as I learned over time is that, well, a part of self-care is being gracious with yourself and understanding that there are different seasons in life and that not every season mm. will afford the same level or type of self-care. And so I love, you know, the way that you've described, okay, this is what, you know, perhaps a normal day might look like, but it will look totally different if I'm on assignment because it's just, you know, in that yeah. season, you can't practice self-care in the same way. But I think it's just having that awareness and finding something that you can hold on to that's just, you know, just for you. Well, and it's like, to me also, it's the simple things, right? Like it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't know why, but I, I cover Latin America, right? And so even like when we were finding a place to live, like I am, I love a good bath. And that is so relaxing yeah. to me. And so I can't, I, that, I don't know. That's just not a thing in Latin America. Like they don't, they're not a lot of, everything's a shower. And, and so now when I travel, like I have a, I have a luggage that's like ready 24 seven. And so I like, I throw in there this little kit to take a bath in case I'm somewhere where I can do that. You know, yeah, it's so like cool. I travel around with this little like <laughs> lavender bath bomb, you know, like, right. which let's be real. It very rarely gets used. But it's, um, I, I am, I'm like, Ooh, just in case, you know, because I never get that opportunity. And so that seems so silly, but it's, it's a little thing that will just allow you to just step away. Yeah. Right. To just have that, that moment and, 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 and then like, they're even like, you know, again, I'm in news, so I'm constantly reading, not just articles, but even books. Like right now I'm reading a book of so, a former white house person, right? Um, with James, well, not white house, but James Clapper. Um, and so, you know, I'm constantly in news mode. So even the other day when my husband said, Hey, why don't you try a fiction book for vacation? Right. Which is so not a big deal. Gentle I'm like, push. Right. You know, like I'm going to read fiction. And, um, and I did, and it was a nice escape, you know, because I'm constantly reading nonfiction just to understand what's going on in the world and immigration and Latin America and all this stuff and the politics of it. And so to just step back and read a book about another bicultural girl that's fiction is so nice. Um, and so I, I don't know, I'll probably do a little bit more of that. Yeah. A lot so. of romance novel or. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Like little baby steps, Alex. Right, right, steps. right. <laughs> that's the deep end. That's the deep end. Um, <laughs> 
Okay, so as we wrap, I'd I'd love for you to finish this statement, okay? Uh, Layla Santiago is becoming... Um, Wow, Layla Santiago... I know is, that was a good. One. I, I, that's heavy. That's a that's yeah, heavy. yeah, yeah. That's deep. Um, Layla Santiago is becoming um is becoming more. I, I think self aware, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think having just come off a of vacation, understanding that there's a whole world out there, um, and 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 understanding what my role is in that to cope with that pressure um, of the journalism world, to cope with that pressure of leading a team that's still in recovering efforts in Puerto Rico to cope with that um, pressure of paying the debt to my support team, right? Of, of constantly feeling like I, if I have five minutes, I need to call my husband or my mom or whatever, because I, I don't give them enough attention. Mm. I, and so like becoming aware of my role in that and how you can do that. I think that's where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot going on in the world and, and I have a little slice in the journalism aspect of it, but that that's one slice of it. Like I have, that, that's one part of who I am and balancing the rest of who I am and, and to bring it full circle, what I represent is what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> this was fun. Yeah. Thank you. See, this is part of my, you know, self care yeah, yeah. today, <laughs> chatting with you. Thanks for tuning in to She Time. Be sure to visit shefirstproject.org/podcast to access the show notes for today's episode. Also, don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, and review the show. And sharing is caring, so feel free to share this episode with a friend. I love connecting with our listeners and members of the She First tribe, so be sure to like and follow the She First Project on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching She First Project. And if you have any suggestions for topics or guests you'd like to see featured on the show, please reach out to us at admin, A-D-M-I-N, at shefirstproject.org. Well, I can't wait for you to join me back here next week for another episode of She Time. Until then, take care.